Welcome to Heal Your Tummy Podcast. A disclaimer first, our hosts and guests are not giving medical advice, period. We will be talking about IBS, tummy troubles, health and wellness, and nutrition. Our hosts, Patty and Nancy Nelson, are a daughter and mother-in-law duo. So sit back and relax, whatever it is you want to do while you listen to a podcast. But note that we might be talking about the word poop in most of our episodes. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Heal Your Tummy podcast. This is episode two, and we wouldn't be here in audio space without you. So thank you for tuning in. I'm Patty. I am a current IBS sufferer. And I'm here with Nancy. She is a retired GI nurse practitioner. And we are a daughter and mother-in-law duo. Now, with our first episode that we did, we actually had gotten some feedback from a listener, a question, and they wanted to know how I was doing with my constipation and what that's like for me right now and what it was like when I had to go somewhere where I didn't have access to a bathroom right away, maybe camping or even at someone else's house. So, um, the constipation that I'm dealing with right now is way less than it was when our, when we first talked about it in our first episode. I, um, because of diet change, um, and just thinking of what I'm consuming and what I'm putting in my body, I've been able to pretty much have that non-existent. Um, I do use dual softeners. Nancy had mentioned that in the first episode. And I am using the Miralax, which is the... Polyethylene glycol. Thank you, Nancy. Yeah, so I am using that um, maybe just once a week, if that. And then near and around my menstrual cycle, I'll up the ante because I do have issues with that on my menstrual cycle. But in terms of constipation and pain, um, luckily it was only in 2006 when I had that huge acute um, severe pain. So luckily that's... That's been under control, and that's what I do. And in terms of what it felt like to go anywhere outside of the home, um, if I had any issues, you know, some people that have constipation might have diarrhea as well. Um, In my case, I actually didn't have diarrhea. It was just constipation. So if I had any kind of pain or discomfort, I kind of just was really good at hiding it and not showing people if I was in discomfort. And then I would go home and try and figure out, you know, if I need to up the ante on the stool softeners or not. So just a little recap about what I, where I'm at right now with constipation. And thank you to that listener who had asked those questions. Um, And so now today we're going to talk shop about um, what people can do for their own health and wellness um, before even seeing a GI nurse practitioner or a provider. And, uh, but you know, we, we kind of want to talk about what kind of recipes we're into and what we're doing right now. And I'll have Nancy take the lead for that part. Hi there. So it's summertime. And so I'm into summertime activities. Uh, The weather has been beautiful this month in the Seattle Puget Sound area. So I have been into bike riding and hiking. Um, I'm her father-in-law. And he and I have both gotten bikes recently and we have been going on 10 to 15 mile bike rides throughout the neighborhood and really enjoying that. The other thing we've been up to is hiking. So we went up to Mount Rainier and took a seven mile hike um, 
up to a lookout called Fremont Lookout, and it was absolutely gorgeous. Mount Rainier just makes me feel happy inside to walk near it, look at it, and be so impressed by its majesty. On the cooking end, it's again, it's summertime, so I'm much more into salads, uh, lighter cooking, things that I can do ahead and have ready to go. Yeah, last visit I talked about a quinoa kale um, salad that I make with butternut squash and some other vegetables. Today I want to talk a little bit about a, another salad called a barley grain bowl. It's got a tahini vinaigrette. I uh, just cook up some barley and then add um, some olive, columella olives, as well as some tomatoes, little cherry tomatoes, um, and the sauce, make it up in the blender with um, a little bit of onion, tahini, and uh, oil and vinegar, um, and toss that and throw it in the fridge. It's delicious. Um, I have been working towards really including lots of fruits and vegetables and focusing on whole grains, so this salad just fit the bill. What's wonderful about salads is if you look at a recipe, you can just go down and go, well, let's see, I can't do onions, so I'm going to substitute chives. Or I really like um, tomatoes and calamari olives, but I don't like the capers, so I'll leave them out. So you can really custom adjust it and customize it to how you like to eat. And you said a tahini vinaigrette. is. What does tahini taste like? Tahini is interesting. Basically what it is, is sesame seed butter. It's got a little bit of a tangy taste to it, um, and it adds a creamy uh, peanut butter-like texture to things, but it has a unique flavor all of its own. I don't know how to exactly describe it, but it's... Oh, that reminds me. Tahini, yeah. Your tahini that you're talking about, is it something that you've used in your hummus recipe? Yes. Tahini yeah. is... Okay. So if you think about hummus, tahini is a big piece of that um, and it gives that flavor that hummus has uh, that's from the tahini oh nice yeah that sounds yummy barley when you said barley I was thinking like beer making and brewing <laughs> <laughs> but you can eat barley it's good right? you can you can eat barley you can um, find it in the grocery section near usually the dried beans and rices although funny thing in this weird covid time we're some food shortages don't make sense to me. I think I had to go to six or seven stores before I found some more barley to replace mine. It was an item I guess people are buying or it's in short in the supply chain, but I finally found it. Well, hopefully you'll find it again. <laughs> if not, look at your home home brewing store or your local home brewing store. They might have it. Good but idea. Maybe it's too much. <laughs> maybe you'll have a go. I Here's... probably don't need 10 pounds of barley. No. <laughs> Well, I guess you could give it to one of your sons to make beer yeah. out of, maybe. Yeah. yeah, you could have your barley grain bowl with tahini vinaigrette and make barley grain at the same time. You could brew you and go. eat it at the same time. Yeah. yeah, that sounds yummy. So Nancy is a health nut, which is a good thing. Her being a GI nurse practitioner, she's very focused on health and wellness and nutrition. And um, my recipe is, uh, this is Patty, my recipe is uh, a bellini. And it sounds simple, but then you can dress it up. And for those of you that don't know what blinis are, usually it's made out of wheat and some kind of um, maybe a little bit of egg or milk. And then my version that I created was, again, oat flour. And milk, I used 2% milk, but you could use lactose-free milk, about two eggs. And then you whip that up, and then you get um, 
you get the uh, non-stick skillet and you put that on medium heat and then you kind of have to angle the pan as you're dropping the liquid onto it and make sure the liquid is running around the pan as you kind of shift it with your other hand. Um, and it takes, uh, it's a little bit more time intensive because you have to watch it. So when it's ready to flip, you can flip it. It's not something you can just set and forget it. So you're there making your bellinis on the stovetop. I sit with strawberries and yogurt. And that's one of our favorite breakfast items that we like to do in our household. And that's one of the recipes I'm into right now. And then for us to kind of switch gears now to talk shop. Um, oh, wait, I guess I forgot to say what I'm up to. Yes, what are you up to yeah. now, Patty? What am I up to? Well, for those of you that may or may not know, I'm developing a Heal Your Tummy website as well. Um, I'm going to be spending a lot more dedicated hours to this website. It's not quite where I want it to be, but it's going to have resources for people that have tummy troubles, IBS issues, or those that are interested in the low FODMAP diet. So it'll have kind of a indexed recipe page and then a lot of resources there for people to pull from. And that's what I've been working on right now for myself. And, uh, yeah, I'm hoping to get that up and going within the year. I need to do a lot more recipe writing as a first-time ever website blogger. So that's what I'm up to right now. And Nancy and I, uh, for this episode, are going to be chit-chatting about health and wellness and what someone can do right now before seeing a provider and what that looks like. Um, so the first topic that Nancy's going to talk about is what's called a symptom tracker. So let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Let me actually back up just a little bit from that. Um, and all of the information that we're going to be talking about right now is assuming you are an otherwise healthy person. So by that, I mean you haven't lost a whole lot of weight. You're not having bloody diarrhea. You're not having a lot of vomiting. Probably some distress and discomfort, maybe a little diarrhea, um, and your stomach isn't feeling right, and you're not exactly sure what's going on, but you're basically healthy. Um, so I really want to make that distinction. If you are not basically healthy, if you're having any of those more alarm symptoms, again, a lot of vomiting, vomiting blood, bloody diarrhea, um, significant weight loss, you really need to speak with a provider sooner rather than later. But yeah. So if you're basically healthy and you've got these tummy troubles, um, there are so many different reasons people's digestive system gets unhappy. Sometimes it's stress. Sometimes it's foods you're eating. Sometimes it's um, a lot of different foods. Sometimes it's not very many. And I think that it's really helpful to try to, before you go see a provider, to try to do some of the homework ahead yourself. So there is something called a symptom tracker. And how this would work, you would take a day, write down kind of how your symptoms were, and you can figure out how you want to do that. If you have like two major symptoms, let's just say they are uh, stomach aches and gas. Those are your two major symptoms. Maybe you just put a G and a SA, stomach ache. And so then you would you could write down the time of day you were having that symptom, or you could write down how many times in a day you had each of those symptoms. And then the second part of the symptom tracker is uh, what you ate. So think about what did I eat today? Um, and many of us eat fairly consistently all the time, but maybe one day you eat something very different. So keeping track of, of that can be helpful. And then the last thing might be, how did your day go? 
So was it a day where you went to work and found out that your favorite boss was quitting and they gave the job to your coworker who you don't get along with um, and your hours got cut? Like a You're, stressful. So that would be like a bad day at yeah. work. And, <laughs> and so was that a bad day? Um, or was it you came, you uh, were looking back at your day and it was your birthday and your best friend you hadn't seen in a couple of years remembered and sent you a card and, and it was a good day. So kind of keeping track of what your day was like can also help. If you, And if you notice, every time I have a really stressful, bad day, my symptoms are a lot worse. It just can really help you kind of pinpoint in what's going on. And for the symptom tracker, um, what I had done in the past for myself is um, just basically a diary. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, mm -hmm. but it can be, you know, an app that you find um, for your smartphone. Um, there's some out there. There's one called Keep um, that you could try out, or some of the, the Google apps have a task. And then there's one called OneNote, so you could find something that works for you on your smartphone or just like a paper diary, or even just a piece of paper, but keep it all together, right? Mm -hmm. What would it, you suggest? I would say, yeah. you know, I think it depends. Everyone's a little different. I'm a paper pencil kind of person, and I'm um, a very visual, when I look at something, I just visually. So I would get some kind of a code, and I would probably get a calendar so that I could write briefly what those codes were. And then to me, if I had, I could look at the calendar and go, oh, well, there's a day where I've got seven SA, stomach aches, and here's another day. Where, and it just would be easier for me. For other people, writing it down in a in more of a, a computer or like a, something they've got with them, they could stick it in, the information on their phone right away. I will say that as a provider, probably one of the most helpful things when people would bring me um, all kinds of symptom diaries if you can somehow summarize it, if you bring 30 pages of everything you ate, sometimes as a provider to scan through that in a half hour visit, it's hard. So if you can somehow look at that information, do some reflective thinking on it yourself and summarize what the trends are that you see, that's super helpful when you go to the visit to talk to your provider. Yeah. And I like the idea of a symptom tracker because... For me, I started doing that um, after I resolved my constipation issue. I ended up having stomach aches outside of eating healthy. So even though I was having a healthy meal every day for three courses a, uh, a shot, I was having I was having bloating and tightness and um, just generally un uneasy and gurgly. So that's when I knew that, okay, these are still happening and I couldn't quite pinpoint you know, what it was that I was eating. So that's one of the reasons why I ended up going to see someone outside of the tracker. But it's good to get those symptoms down. Yeah. One of the other sayings that we used to have um, in my group was, common things are common. And so <laughs> start with the common things. So you do the symptom tra tracker and you start looking at your diet. And if you're drinking three high fructose corn serum, syrup containing sodas a day, and eating a lot of really highly processed chips, as common things are common. Get rid of that stuff because that's a common cause of stomach aches and stomach distress. So clean up your diet, get it down to where you're eating your five, six servings of fruits and vegetables every day, mostly choosing whole grains, choosing a lot less processed foods, eating whole foods, 
And then, like Patty said, she noticed things were better, but she was still having symptoms. Then you can hone in on, uh, you look at your symptom and diet combo and you're like, oh, well, the day I ate a whole bunch of watermelon, I was miserable. And what are the common things? Maybe it's fructose. Maybe it's more. Um, so I think that's a good place to start. But first of all, clean up. The first thing to do is clean up your diet. If you are eating a lot of processed foods. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what helped me to pinpoint what was really going on. Um, I ended up having a, a, a fructose malabsorption and, um, I'm sure that's common, but it's hard to pinpoint if you have a healthy diet. So like Nancy said, if you had watermelon for part of your meal and you realize, okay, maybe I'm still having those symptoms, then it could be an indicator of a malabsorption of some kind. Um, but yeah. And I, again, common things are common. The once you get a cleaned up healthy diet and you're eating, like I said, mostly whole grains, fruits and vegetables, lean proteins, more legumes, and you're eating well, you're eating a healthy balanced diet um, and you're still having symptoms, probably the two most common foods um, would be things that contain a lot of fructose. That can be juice, high fructose corn syrup containing beverages such as Gatorades or um, sports, other sports drinks or sodas. Um, or it could be the natural occurring fructose. And in this situation, the natural occurring fructose responds no differently in your body. It can give you just as much distress as the more processed foods. So um, some of the fruits, and fruits that are really high in that would be um, melons, pears, apples, and then some of the fruits that are a little less high uh, in the fruit category would be berries and citrus. So those are common things. And you might, and I found when I talked to people, sometimes that was enough. They just realized that it probably wasn't a great idea to drink a quart of apple juice every day. <laughs> they stopped it and their stomach concern or their GI concerns went away. Other times, that wasn't enough and you need to go further like for patty who went on to try the fodmap yeah that's um i went on to do that after speaking with a different gi nurse practitioner so even though nancy is our nurse practitioner family member um i went to one um in 2012 to talk about my tummy troubles and it was kind of off off the comment that she gave me that diet was just starting out in 2012 so she just said hmm yeah, it sounds like you have IBS, but it's an umbrella term, and if it's not something significant, it's kind of just, woe is you, you know, make sure you have a better diet, but I knew I was already having a better diet, so when she said, oh, check out this low FODMAP diet, it might help you, and it wasn't um, a push like it is now for people to realize that could be something for them, so it, it's very hard to stick with, and that could be something we talk about in one of our next episodes, um, but to continue on... Um, you know, Nancy was talking about if you have, you know, bloody diarrhea or if there's something else going on other than maybe outside of the normal, um, what would it mean to talk to your PCP? Okay. In any event, um, if you're having these issues and you can't improve things by following some of those really simple suggestions, um, by identifying this food or that food, um, and, or working on your stress, you really, your next step really is to start with your PCP. That is primary care provider. That person might be a general practitioner, a general provider. It might be a 
nurse practitioner or a physician assistant. It might be somebody in a family practice or internal medicine. Um, if you're a young adult, it might be your somebody in a pediatrician's or pediatric office. And that's the place to start. Um, because really many, there are some conditions out there that are easily confused with simple IBS um, that you need to you need to rule out. So you want to start and make sure you've had a good um, medical exam, and oftentimes that will include some screening lab lab work. Um, that would be a blood draw. Most of the time, it's a blood draw, and probably the two biggest things that they would be screening for in that time would be inflammatory bowel disease, which sounds a lot like irritable bowel or IBS. IBD, IBS, eh, what's in the initials, but inflammatory bowel disease is a much more concerning condition. It's the a lump term for um, two conditions, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, and also indeterminate colitis, uh, and is a much more concerning condition because it is an autoimmune-based condition. And in the early stages, the symptoms might not look all that different than IBS. The other one is um, celiac disease. And celiac disease is an autoimmune reaction. Again, not an allergy, not a sensitivity, but an actual autoimmune reaction to gluten. One of the things that I always found difficult when I saw patients was people had already gone to a gluten-free diet. Once you're on a gluten-free diet, you cannot test for celiac. So it really behooves you to get your get in, see a provider, get that screening lab work done. And either if it's positive, great, you can move on and treat it. If it's negative, then you can um, consider to go into some of the more um, intense treatment plans, like maybe do you need to be on a low FODMAP diet? Do you need, do you have significant depression or anxiety that you need to work on? Um, is, do you have significant constipation that needs some kind of medication management? So anyway, those uh, are things to think about, and you want to get that screening. Try the simple stuff at home first, but then see your primary care provider. Have some really concrete questions. Do I have celiac? Do I have inflammatory bowel disease? Are there any other conditions I might have um, that they could take care of and rule out? So they can rule that out with a blood test? Yeah, they can. Okay, so what, what are the markers? Like, let's say the PCP is looking at your blood results, and they, what would be the ones that indicate a problem? Well, you know, there's there are a lot of things, okay. and sometimes it's a, a total. Yeah. Um, but a, just to be really, probably the biggest one is um, for celiac disease, there are some antibodies that can be screened for. There are a couple different ones. Um, gotcha. that, that could be screened for. Okay. Um, and with uh, Crohn's or all sort of colitis, they're looking for subtle blood loss and signs of inflammation. So, um, you know, just a really, and, and as well as your thyroid, how that's working. So just some really basic screening labs. Um, oftentimes they'll do um, a complete blood count, which looks at are you anemic, some inflammation markers, which look at is it possible there's... Um, an inflammatory process like inflammatory bowel disease, they will look at uh, a screen for celiac and then something that's called a comprehensive metabolic panel, which is just a basic, does your liver work? Does your kidney work? Is there any signs of inflammation in those places? So that's a really good starting spot. Um, not None of it's horribly expensive. None of it, it's just one blood draw. It's not horribly invasive. And it's a really good screen. 
the little caveat I would say is sometimes the lab work isn't perfect, um, but it's a, and it's not always, you know, it's not always a hundred percent going to say you have this or you don't have that, but it's a really good place to start. Right. And so let's say someone gets out of their PCP visit and they're waiting for the blood work results and let's say they're getting tested for celiac, um, should they keep with their diet and then maybe change? Obviously, they're going to go with that with their PCP. So you mentioned not changing your diet necessarily if you think you're celiac. So why why exactly would that make a difference? When you, I guess the physiology of that. Sure, right? sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you have celiac disease, your body has an autoimmune reaction to eating gluten. When you have an autoimmune reaction like that, you build up antibodies. The treatment for celiac disease is 100% gluten-free for the rest of your life. And if you follow that kind of a diet and you have celiac, six months, a year, 18 months down the road, your blood work will look completely normal. So if you follow that and then we go to test you to see if you have it, your blood work would look completely normal and you wouldn't know you had it. So it's real. that's that you lose those antibodies and you so you want to test while you have those antibodies present so that then you know um most of the time uh because that's a big deal is that might be could that be something that the the primary care provider accidentally skips over like okay they want to be tested for celiac let's do that now maybe could that have been something they might skip over like oh were you already um it could be it could be it could be yeah yeah, it could be. So you want to think about getting that screening work done early so yeah. that, you know. Um, and then the other thing with the with the blood work, just to say many, so it's being 100% gluten-free for the rest of your life, that is down to, I have to look at if I decide I need some ibuprofen for my headache, I have to look at is there any gluten in those ibuprofen tablets. So just any teeny tiny amount is too much. So if you're going to be 100% gluten-free for the whole rest of your life, that's a big deal. That is a really big deal. You can't just say, oh, it's my birthday. I'm going to have a piece of cake. Or It's a big deal. So many times, if you have a positive blood test for screening for celiac, they will want to confirm it with an upper endoscopy or um, with a GI provider where they will actually go in and look at the actual cells in your small intestine to see, to confirm. Because it's, a, like I said, it's a big deal. You want to know 100% for sure that that's what you have or don't have. So anyway, you want to, until you're at the very end of your workup, you definitely want to continue to eat gluten so that the testing is accurate. Yeah, got it. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good, Nancy. Thank you for providing us your your intellect and your knowledge on the on the information there for what the symptom tractor would be, what you can do before your PCP, and some of the symptoms you might have, if they're normal or not. And even if they seem like a normal symptom of just overeating, there could still be something there. Um, just to like kind of backtrack with, with the condition I had, um, the first major one was, okay, I have constipation, it hurts, I need to better my diet so that I can go to the bathroom regularly and not be in pain. And then the other one was I still had issues with even after a healthy diet. So it's good to see 
someone in the medical profession to help you kind of figure out what you can do next. Um, and not to have to suffer alone. <laughs> you know, if you're having tummy troubles almost every day, then there's something going on. That There's something triggering you. There's some sort of trigger there that needs to be addressed. Um, and that's just my personal take on it. And Nancy is the professional here that has seen it almost day to day to day with her, with her clinic that she worked with. Um, yeah, that pretty much wraps up our, our episode. And I just want to say thank you for joining us and listening to us today. Um, we wouldn't be here without your, you tuning into us. And if you have any feedback on our show, if you have questions or comments or maybe a burning question, email at us, um, sorry, email us at healyourtummy at gmail.com. Again, that's healyourtummy at gmail.com. And Nancy and I are going to post our recipes that we've talked about in the description of our podcast. And I'll also post that email in our description too. So, uh, whatever podcast host you're using, um, usually you can click on the episode or the description and then you'll be able to get to the recipes we've talked about and then also our email if you have questions or comments. So, thank you, Nancy. That was a wrap for episode two. All right. Heal Your Tummy Podcast.